Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 2. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. You do know that I told you in the Septuagint, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings are also called 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th Book of the Kingdoms. And the kingdoms refer to the two kingdoms in the north and Judah in the south. I told you that 2nd Samuel is a book about David's life and his 40-year reign as king. If you don't have that written down, you must write that down. That's, that's, that's a must. 2nd Samuel is about David his life, and his 40-year reign as king. Seven and a half years, he reigned in Hebron. We'll talk more about that tonight. And then 33 years, he reigned in Jerusalem. There are more chapters in the Old Testament dedicated to the life and the ministry of King David than any other Old Testament character. David is mentioned over a thousand times in the Bible, and I told you uh, last week that 2 Samuel is divided into two main sections. Chapters 1 through 10, we find David's triumphs, and chapters 13 through 24, we find David's troubles, and sandwiched in the middle of David's triumphs and David's troubles are David's trials in chapters 11 and 12. We see the trials and his sin with Bathsheba. I told you last week I'd have a little outline for you this week. There it is. Chapters 1 through 10, David's triumphs. Chapters 11 and 12, David's trials. And chapters 13 through 24, David's trouble. The entire book of Second Samuel there in the outline. Let's leave that there for a minute. And as we move into Second Samuel... We're going to see David's life. We're going to see David's humanity. We'll see his failures. We'll see his successes. In 2 Samuel, we'll see David's sin with Bathsheba and his repentance. In 2 Samuel, we'll see the man after God's own heart. Now, if you were with us last week, you know the Philistines killed Saul and Jonathan on Mount Gilboa and hung their bodies on the wall at Bet-Shem. And I told you that when we go to Israel, and by the way, we are planning a trip, so start saving your coins. We are planning the trip January 2017. So if you'd like to go, start planning, saving your coins right now. We can go with us uh, every time we go to Israel. And I think this will probably be my my 17th, 18th time, I think, uh, for Miss Elvira, maybe six or seven times you've been. And uh, we always stop at Beit Shem. We, this is a really nice location that we stop at uh, when we travel to Israel. I mentioned this last week, and Mary Shire was kind enough to pull out a picture of uh, Beit Shem. Let me see. Let me see that picture, if 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 you will. And that picture is taken. Let me see. 
That picture is taken. You remember last week I mentioned to you that there was a stairway that we all run up and then we all like see who can get to the top. You remember that? Am I right about that, guys? That's what that picture. Okay. Um, and uh, so, and then it, it's like it must be like a thousand steps. I'm not kidding you. It's like way up there, and uh, we all run up it to see who gets up there first in the whole nine. And some of us make it, and some of us don't. Amen. And uh, so, once you get to the top, is where um, Saul and Jonathan's body would have been. Uh, hung or pinned to the wall there at the top so uh, you can see and then you get this aerial view you can see that's that that's the city uh, excavated keep in mind that would be lower because it, the, the ground has been excavated but um, um, there's an amphitheater there there's a marketplace like if you look to the right um, you can see it looks look, looks like a like a little row of columns right there in the corner, not in the corner, but kind of in the middle in the right, and then this circular thing. You see that? Y'all say amen if you see it. Yeah, those are like market um, stalls where they would have like the marketplace, and uh, they actually have some of the original roads. And um, it this is a fascinating, fascinating, fascinating location we go to every single year. So. Thank you, Mary, for pulling that out. That actually helps to bring a little bit of uh, uh, perspective. But there you see the ruins where the where the Philistines hung Saul, and uh, and then earlier the, the 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 men of Jabesh Gilead took the body of Saul down and gave them a proper burial. Last week in chapter one, Saul is dead, and David went back to Ziklag. You remember, and while in Ziklag, a man came to David from Gilboa. And told David that he was just come from the front line of the battle and that he knows that Saul and Jonathan had been killed. And David said to the man, don't y'all remember David said to the man, how, how do you know, how you know that? And the man said, because he happened, he said he happened. Uh, I don't like that phraseology. I happened to be in on the front line. I happened to be walking by. He said, and I came upon Saul, who was half dead, lying on his spear. And this is what the man said. He said, Saul called me over and asked me to kill him. Verse 10, the man said in First Samuel, actually in Second Samuel chapter 1, verse 10, the man said, he stood over Saul and he killed him. And then he said, he took the crown, he took the bracelet, and he brought it to David. And this man thought that he would be bringing David good news because he thought that David had bitterness in his heart towards Saul. He also thought that David would give him a reward for killing Saul. I want you to look at 2 Samuel chapter 1, right about verse uh, 12. 2 Samuel chapter 1, right about verse 12. The Bible says that that um, David mourned. Y'all looking at verse 12? If you're looking at it, say I'm looking at it. And they, and they mourned. They, meaning David and his men, and they mourned and they wept and they fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan, his son, for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. So they mourned for Saul. They mourned for Jonathan. And then look at verse 14. David said to the man, why weren't you afraid to touch the Lord's anointed? David told one of his men to go over and kill him. Now, we talked about this last week. I'm not going to belabor it, but I do want to make this point clear. That there is a lot of speculation as it relates to this man's story. 
Uh, did the man get to the battlefield and see that Saul had committed Harry Carey, killed himself, and um, took the bracelet and the crown and brought it to David? Or did the man, who was an Amalekite, he says, according to his story, happen upon Saul, and Saul calls him over and says, finish me off. Now, according to 1 Samuel 31, 1 Samuel 31 tells us that Saul was dead. This man comes by. Are y'all seeing the problem with the story? The man comes by and says, no, Saul was not dead. Saul was laying on the sword and asked me to come and finish him off. So we have a problem. Now, I told you last week that I agree with the Bible. I will always agree with the Bible. And what the Bible says is Saul was dead. 1 Samuel 31, let's just make this very clear and then we can move on. 1 Samuel 31 is the word of God. Saul is dead. 2 Samuel 1, this man's story, is this man's story. It's not the Bible. It's not the word of God. It's his story. Just because something's written in the Bible doesn't mean it's the word of the word of God. Y'all with me? Doesn't mean it's the, the word of God. It's the man's story. That's what he said. I believe the word of God. First Samuel 31 says that Saul was dead. The Bible says Saul was dead. So I believe Saul was dead dead when the man got there and the man then took the bracelet he took the crown he bought it to David thinking David's gonna be happy about it because he knows that Saul and David have always had beef for 10 years and so David says why have you touched the Lord's anointed and David had one of his men go kill him I don't think that was the reward that the man was thinking he was gonna get y'all say amen that's not what he thought he was gonna get well, if you missed last week's teaching, I want you to just take a minute, go to the bookstore, order it, if you will. And uh, if, you, if you'd like to get a little bit more into that, we got a little bit more into it last week. Go to the bookstore, order chapter uh, 1 of Second uh, Samuel. Well, then in verse 17, Second Samuel chapter 1, in verse 17 through 27, David writes the Song of the Bow. The Song of the Bow is Hebrew poetry, Hebrew poetry and a lamentation over Saul and Jonathan's death. Now listen, after all that Saul had put David through, David has been running from Saul for more than 10 years of his life. Saul took David's family, took his home, took his career, took his security. Saul persecuted David without a reason. David lost everything because of Saul. And yet we learn from the Song of the Bow, if you were with me, you know this, that David didn't hold bitterness towards Saul. David loved Saul. In verse 17, the song of the bow again is a poem. And David didn't want anybody to rejoice over Saul's death. David wanted all of Israel to look at the good that Saul had done. Look at verse 18 of chapter 1 of Second uh, Samuel. Look at verse 18. David said, teach this poem to your kids. And, and David didn't want everybody to mourn. He, he, he said he wanted everybody to mourn. He, he wanted the mountains and the fields to mourn Saul's death in verse 21. Now listen, without the New Testament, without the scriptures, without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, 
David didn't hold bitterness in his heart towards Saul. Remember I told you, bitterness, if you don't have this written down, write this down. Bitterness, hatred, and unforgiveness are things that are chosen, not things that are imposed upon us. Bitterness, hatred, and unforgiven are chosen. They are not things that are imposed upon us. Those are things that we have to make a choice that we are going to be bitter, that we're going to be unforgiving, that we're going to be hateful. Those things aren't imposed on us. Things that are imposed on us from the Holy Spirit, love, grace, forgiveness, gratefulness, thankfulness. These are things that the Holy Spirit says, be grateful, be thankful, be loving, be kind, be joyful. The Holy Spirit imposes these things on our hearts. Are y'all following me? But unforgiveness and bitterness and hatred are not imposed on you. You have to choose to be. That is why David could choose, watch this, he could choose not to kill Saul. When he had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, even his friends were saying, David, is this discontent, distressed, and in-debt men, friends, were saying, David, kill the guy. Let's get on with it. David's like, nope, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. I'll let God handle that. Bitterness, unforgiveness, hatred, can't tell you enough, is not imposed. You choose to be bitter. You choose to be unforgiving. Somebody say amen. Why y'all so quiet? Y'all all right? Bitterness, hatred, unforgiveness. You have to choose those things. Or you can choose not to allow those things. And I'll tell you something. Forgiveness is a whole lot easier when you realize you are as much a sinner as the next guy. We're all sinners saved by what, saints? Uh-huh. And I think David understood that. Well, let's get into it. Chapter 2, Second uh, Samuel. Chapter 2. If you're looking at verse 1 of chapter 2, I need you to say amen. And it happened after this, after the song of the bow. However, the mighty fall, look at verse 27, in chapter 1. However, the mighty fall, and the weapons of war have perished. After this, after David had finished writing the song of the bow, that David underlined this, inquired of the Lord saying, shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, go up. And David said, where shall I go up? And he said, to Hebron. So David went up there and two wives also, Ahinaman, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David brought up the men who were with him, every man with his household. So they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. And then the men of Judah came, and they anointed King David over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, The men of Jabesh-Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. So David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, You are blessed of the Lord, for you have shown this kindness to your Lord, to Saul, and have buried him. And now may the Lord show kindness and truth to you. I also will repay you for this kindness because you have done this thing. Now, therefore, let your hands be strengthened and be valiant. For your master Saul is dead. 
and also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention. David, I get the feeling, is coming into his own at this point. David is becoming the king that God has called him to be. Did y'all get that? In verse 1, David, the Bible tells us, this is an unusual statement in connection with David. You'll see it more from here forward, but we haven't seen this very much at all. David inquired of the Lord. David is done doing his own thing. David isn't seeking his own will and desire anymore. David is trusting the Lord, looking to the Lord, inquiring of the Lord. His heart is just where God wants it right where he belongs, trusting and leaning on God every step of the way. Look at verse 1. David inquired of the Lord. I have in my Bible, great start, David, because that's a great start. David asked God, God, shall I move to any city in Judah? God said, yep. David said, which one? Where shall I go? God said, go to Hebron. Notice David had the feeling or the unction that he should be going to Judah, but this time he had the smarts to ask God before he went. Now, I think of 1 Samuel chapter 30, where David, you know this, he went to Ziklag. And he didn't ask the Lord whether he should go to Ziklag or not, because God would have told him, uh, no. He didn't ask the Lord. He didn't inquire of the Lord. He went, and when he went, he paid the price. Remember when he came home, he found the city had been burned with fire. The wife, kids, dogs, cats, all the stuff had been taken. Remember? You see, when you do things your way, things get taken. But notice this time, even though it seems obvious to go to Judah, David waits. He prays. He seeks the Lord. God, where do you want me to go? David probably said, I'm tired of doing my own thing. Now, Bible students, listen. Hebron, and I want you to write this down. Hebron is, an important, is important in Jewish history. Hebron is important in Jewish history. Genesis chapter 13, Abraham came to Hebron and he bought a piece of property. Anybody know what he bought? Just yell it out. Grave. He bought a grave for his wife at Hebron in Genesis 13. Joshua chapter 13 and 14, Caleb wanted Hebron. Hebron means, and this is important, Hebron means to be joined together. Union, communion. God said, David, I want you to go back to communion and union with me. Don't you understand that God always tells his wandering children to go back to communion and union with him. And tonight, listen, if you've been struggling or wandering away from the Lord, then simply go to Hebron. Go to Hebron. Get back to union with God in your heart. Hebron isn't a place. Hebron is an attitude of the heart. It's an attitude of the heart. Now, I find it interesting, it doesn't, and when I read it, and I don't know, what do you get the same thing? But when I read this, it doesn't seem that God is forthcoming with directions with David. It doesn't really feel that way. David, it feels like David had to drag it out of God. David said, God, shall I go up to any city of Judah? God said, go. Okay. 
Where would you like me to go? Go to Hebron. So it feels like David kind of had to drag it out. Now, you might have kind of, you know, uh, 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 asked the question, why such a delay on God's part? Why wouldn't God just be forthcoming and tell him directly what to do? I think it's real simple. What is it, Pastor? I think it's real simple. God likes to talk to you. That's real simple. God likes to talk to you. God likes to fellowship with you. Did you know? God likes to fellowship with you. God wants to keep the conversation going. I think of Jeremiah 29, 12 through 13. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with most of your heart. Uh, All your heart, right? I'll be found by you, says the Lord. James 4, 2 says you do not have because you do not ask. Then James goes on to say, sometimes when we ask, we're asking with the wrong motive. So sometimes we're asking God for things with the wrong motive, and we don't even realize it. I, I, I like this, um, listen to this wedding prayer. I read some many, many years ago. I've gotten to find on my computer. Listen to this. This girl's praying on her wedding day. Dear God, I can hardly believe that this is my wedding day. I know I haven't been able to spend much time with you trying to get everything ready for today. I'm sorry. I also feel, God, a little bit guilty since Frank isn't a Christian. But, oh, Father, I love him so much. What else can I do? I just couldn't give him up. Oh, Lord, you must save him some way, somehow. You know how much I prayed for him. I try not to be too religious, but that's because I didn't want to scare him off. God, you know. He isn't antagonistic. I can't understand why he hasn't given his heart to you yet oh if he were only a christian dear god please bless our marriage i don't want to disobey you but i love him and i want to be his wife so please be with us and please don't spoil my wedding day now she's asking and that sounds really sincere sounds heartfelt doesn't it yeah But if you strip this prayer back of its piety and of its spiritual language, it would really sound something like this. Dear Father, I don't want to disobey you, but I must have my own way at all costs. Father, I love what you do not love. I want what you do not want. So please be a good God and deny yourself and move off your throne and let me take over. If you don't like this, then all I ask is that you bite your tongue and say or do nothing that will spoil my plans and my wedding day. In spite of the fact that I am knowingly disobeying you, please let me enjoy myself and allow us to have a happy marriage. I know it won't be a holy marriage, but at least it'll be a happy marriage. In Jesus' name, amen. That's what it really sounds like. So we're asking for things sometime with the wrong motive. God wants the right motive and the right heart when we pray. I need two people to just say amen. The right motive and the right heart when we pray. And the fact that David is asking God before he's moving shows he has the right heart. And as he, as we move through this chapter, you're going to see David starts asking God first. And he starts making it a habit. And because of that, God's going to establish his throne in Israel through David. Verse 2 of chapter 2, David and his two wives, look at verse 2. David and his two wives went with him. 
Now, side note, verse 27, the song of the bow, how have the mighty fallen? It asks that three times, actually, in the song of the bow. How have the mighty fallen? How have the mighty fallen? How have the mighty fallen? Well, listen, here's how the mighty have fallen. Two wives. Say amen. Now, when we get to chapter three, David is going to have six sons by six different wives. So he has six kids in Hebron. Here's his history. Six kids in Hebron. He has 13 children in Jerusalem. That's 19 kids that we know of. There's a whole bunch of kids. I could, I just lost count. I couldn't really get them all in the lineage, but I, I could count about four or five more. David probably had 25, at least 25 kids. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.